The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry, and I have a cold. <laughs> Today, there's a need to raise awareness and foster fairer systems. Host Macy Jones will interview journalist Louis W. Duguid. Louis Duguid is the former columnist, editorial board member, op-ed page editor, and letters editor at the Kansas City Star, and he's also a published author. He's written the nonfiction book, A Teacher's Cry, Expose the Truth About Education Today. The book is an examination of education from the inside. It's rooted in a four-year project in which Lewis returned to high school and wrote about 100 columns published in the Kansas City Star about studying with the class of 1999 at Washington High School in Kansas City, Kansas. A teacher's cry for attention to what takes place in an urban school led to the project. Other great books by Louis Duguid include Discovering the Real America Toward a More Perfect Union, which examines the often overlooked history of white privilege, racism, and discrimination in the United States. Louis Duguid has an impressive history of speaking his truth so that the truth can set us free from oppression. He does so on the topics of health care, education, equal rights, and social privilege. As ever, Louis Duguid has a great deal to share with us, and we're so lucky to have him as our guest. Louis is a remarkable fit on KKFI, a person not afraid to speak truth on KKFI, the community radio station that is not afraid to broadcast truth. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Good morning. I consider it a great pleasure and an honor to have with me this morning Mr. Lewis Duguid. Thank you for being here with me today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, we're going to talk about the banding of books, something that should be protected by the Constitution. In you the first you would think. <laughs> right. Freedom of speech. Absolutely. The ability to have the freedom of speech. Now, Mr. Duguid, I noticed that there were certain books that were required reading when I was going to school, like To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, for Whom the Bell Tolls. These books were on the band list. Can you tell our listeners, as well as myself, why would they place these books now on the band list? I think part of it uh, is that they tell the truth. They tell the truth and the gritty truth about the United States, uh, particularly um, the the racism and and the hatred that that has always been um, this this uh, terrible thing in this country that really inhibits its progress and and if you read the books and you uh, examine them closely, what they're trying to say is that this is what people in this country should avoid uh, to uh, prevent the forward motion um, uh, that this country should have. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, um, and I have several copies at home because uh, as I've acquired them, I've just kept them. But um, it, it talks about the uh, racial injustice that existed in Alabama uh, at the time um, uh, the book was, was put together. Um, and it talks about how um, people need to be aware of this so that they can um, catch themselves and stop it. Well, so uh, what was the big difference between it being made into a movie and a book? Well, the, the book uh, was required reading for me in uh, high school and then again in college, and I read it a third time um, and a fourth time as, as an adult. Um, it, it should be instructional to people, uh, though 
uh, it gets into uh, some gritty elements of, uh, of our history. But some people want to sanitize um, uh, our life in, in this country, and they want to do that by eliminating what they see as, as a problem that is pointing out the problem. What about the book, The Great Gatsby? I mean, <laughs> what was so wrong with that for it to be a, a banned issue? I think I think again that that here's a book that that tells about um, some issues with with people and circumstances that existed in this in the early part of the 20th century that um, people don't want to think that it existed in this country and so they they want to cleanse it all. I mean, what what we're going through in in this nation right now with um, more than 600 titles being on the ban list, is folks trying to um, put out a, only a pretty image of the United States, uh, one that um, they want to project as, as real, but it doesn't include the racism that still exists, the uh, sexism that still exists, the elitism that still exists, and so many other things, I mean, including homophobia, that, that really cloud um, our past. But, but the books point it out because they want people to be aware of what's existed so that it doesn't cloud the future. But the, the folks who are banning the books think that if you eliminate the books, then um, people won't be troubled by the fact that that was our past. What about the book, The Invisible Man? Uh, I love that book. Um, uh, and and it, it explains um, what has been uh, a way of life for African Americans throughout most of this country's history. We're either um, uh, in the crosshairs of America or we don't exist. And what um, uh, the author in Invisible Man was trying to say is that when we're doing the right thing, living our lives, just just uh, enjoying the, the fruits of, of what our labor brings, then to people who are white, we, we don't exist. And, and if, you, if you think about uh, African-American um, existence in this country, segregation was uh, put into place so that people who were white didn't have to see us, didn't have to rub shoulders with us, didn't have to live with us. Our kids didn't go to school together. And that was, that was all about um, th that invisibility. But the invisibility that African Americans face and have faced in this country um, is the same uh, for Native Americans, for Asian Americans, for people with disabilities. Um, and, and until recently, it was what Latinos faced, but, but Latinos now are inflicted with the problem of immigration and, and all of the um, biases that, that go with immigration. Thank you, Donald Trump, for raising this issue as, as being horrible uh, about folks who are coming into this country as immigrants. Now. Uh, Latinx folks are not the only ones who are have been immigrants. Uh, there are so many others, but but we don't we don't think about them uh, because the the onus has been placed just on Latinos. And I remember reading a book called Native Son. Oh, that was a beautiful book too by Richard Wright, um, and it's very powerful. Um, but it it also explains. The, the horrors of being black, and I think it was set in Chicago, uh, but it could have been set anywhere um, uh, in the United States for African Americans who um, just just run into these, these horrible situations and then a, a bad situation is made worse by, by different acts that, that can go uh, afterward. So the injustice of banning these books, is it, is it a harmful state? to the people if you ban books such as these? Well, I think you have to go back to the 1930s to, to realize the horror of what book banning is all about. Nazi Germany banned books. 
and had um, uh, great fires uh, that, in which books were burned. And we don't want to go back to that period of, of, of history, and we don't want that history that was um, a, a terrible aspect of Europe inflicted on uh, folks in this country, but we're, we're seeing that, that this, is, this is occurring. Um, when you ban books, you're, you're wanting to eliminate um, uh, all of the work that an author put into um, uh, just defining life as it existed in a certain time period. And the author is, is pointing out what was unjust uh, in that time period. And, and it, it brings forth a lot of gritty language, a lot of uh, uh, gritty uh, elements of, of life. But it's important to know these things because unless you know it, you can't change it. And, and I think that what people who are banning books are trying to do is just, I mean, going back to The Invisible Man, they're, they're wanting to say it never existed. That's not a problem. Well, the, the problem with that is that it will allow the problem to exist and for no one to challenge it. And so when authors write books, they're challenging the system. Absolutely. And the system doesn't really want to be challenged. So a lot of authors would, would seem, it would seem to me, would want to not do that because it puts them in a position of being targeted. The benefit of the First Amendment to the Constitution, uh, there are many benefits, but one of them is free speech. Free speech allows for uh, newspapers, magazines, and just uh, conversations between people to occur so that the public hearing those conversations or seeing those articles or seeing what's on um, television or radio or the Internet can then be more informed about what's taking place in our society. If we don't have that information, we don't have the free flow of information, then it constricts people's ability to know. And so they're thinking that everything's cool, everything's fine, well, what's the problem? When the problems could be burning over in, in one sector of, of our community, and though nobody knows, it, it continues to burn. Now that that burn is we've we've seen with the coronavirus. It doesn't stay in one place. It then flows out to so many other places, and unless we had the information to be able to take resources from the community to address and attack the problem and end it, then the problem will fester and grow. I'm sure you probably heard the story, if you want to keep anything away, or the statement, if you want to keep anything away from a people, put it in a book. Yes, sir. And so why do you think that, <laughs> that statement was brought about? Um, because people, for the most part, don't read. And, and the, the, the problem with this country, even though we have freedom of speech, even though we uh, are supposed to have a free press, um, if people don't read, then they don't benefit from the knowledge that newspapers, magazines, books, the Internet might provide. But they need to um, be at least able to rub shoulders with folks who do read. I mean, you have to go back to the 19th century and the 18th century to understand how information gets transmitted. A lot of times uh, in the 19th century, there would be folks who would ride the trains and they would come in from other cities and they would come in with newspapers and magazines and they would bring those into towns where none might, might exist. But because they had that information and they would share it, in some cases it was just in a conversation, then they would become the talk of the town and people would gain knowledge from what was brought in by the trains. And so communication then was both by word of mouth but also um, uh, by the uh, transportation system that allowed for this, this kind of networking to, to occur. 
when when you eliminate the uh, networking, when you eliminate the uh, the the books that allow for this this kind of conversation to occur, and conversation is is, is vital, then um, you you shut things down, and people live in their silos, and they think everything's cool, but it, it in actuality may just be far from the truth. What about the book Color Purple? Um, that is another gritty um, book that that tells about um, uh, some elements uh, in society and and how people treat one another and and how there is a brutality that that exists. Um, but it's important to know that again, so that it can be addressed and overcome. Um, uh, I, I I wish. That, that we lived in a better world, but we don't. Um, I wish that there had never been slavery, but there has been. Um, but it, it's important to know the elements of slavery and how they boil out into society still uh, in order to um, address these concerns. I know you. Uh, I was listening as you were speaking concerning society. Society today is supposed to be a melting pot. And with that being said, a lot of a lot of people now are rubbing shoulders more with each other than they did in the past. We have we have mixed marriages now, you know, and things of this nature. So, what seems to be the conflict in the books that are being banned? I mean, if if thing if times change, and everything must change at some point and times change, then what's the problem? Why are we keeping this, these type of books away from our children? Well, I, I've always said that change is the only constant. I learned that early in my career as a newspaper man, everything changes. Uh, I began work uh, as a journalist typing on a manual typewriter. That shows you how far back that goes. <laughs> and And then every few years we'd get a new computer system and we'd have to forget the old one in order to learn the new one. Change is is inevitable. Uh, one of the things that I um, found um, a challenge uh, in, in the newspaper industry is that we don't really, in the news media in general, give people enough information so that across these many different lines of difference, we, we are unable to communicate so that people who are white are unable to communicate with people who are black or unable to communicate with people who are Latino or unable to communicate with people who are Asian American and Native American and so forth. And so what the media should be doing, what books should be doing, is opening up all kinds of new avenues for communication so that people can effectively have a conversation with folks who are different from themselves without worrying about saying something offensive, saying something stupid, saying something that's going to um, uh, disrupt uh, a possible friendship rather than enhance it. Um, so uh, books always give people new avenues in which to talk. And talking is, is vital to folks who want to communicate, who want to develop a relationship, who want to be able to work together. And the workplace right now um, is probably one of the most integrated aspects of, of the United States. Why? Because there aren't enough workers. I mean, that's why the unemployment rate is at an all-time low, being uh, under 4%. 4% has always been considered full employment. But we're, we're down below 4% because there are not enough workers, which means that everybody who is able-bodied should be in the workplace, uh, should, have a, should have a way to be able to um, um, make a living. Um, and, and that really is the key. But then when you bring these people together, they have to be able to talk, they have to be able to communicate in order to be effective in the workplace on different jobs. And, and so, uh, again, newspapers, magazines, books, TV stations, radio stations, the internet, um, 
all give people the means through which they can better communicate. We go to school so that we can better communicate. We read books in schools so that we can better communicate. And we have a shared language and knowledge base about what it means to live in America uh, so that when we get into these jobs, we can um, be able to, to talk with folks more effectively, uh, more than saying, how about that Taylor Swift being at the, at the Chiefs games? It's got to <laughs> be more than that. <laughs> yes, but isn't a book uh, or a book that an author has written a reflection of what our society is? It should be, and, and oftentimes if it's done right, uh, it is. And, and again, authors generally have something that they want to convey to the public to help the public better understand an issue uh, that the public otherwise would, would have no clue was, was, was there or um, uh, before there were, was as much information about um, <coughs> homosexuality, uh, people didn't know. And um, in many cases, um, and these books help to define it more clearly so that people can have a decent conversation with other folks who may uh, enjoy that kind of, of lifestyle. And it's, it's not that we're trying to, to run people away or toward that. It's just to give people a better understanding so that they'll know how individuals are. Yeah, and that's, that's precisely why I asked the question. Because if an author, you know, he's living in the society and he's just really writing about what he views and how he sees it and how he's learned, then why is there such a big deal about certain things like you may mention about homosexuality, uh, sex being in a book, um, language? and things of this nature. Why is that such a big deal for banding? Well, again, it goes to some of the uh, folks who think that that is part of the world that they don't want um, their children to be exposed to, other people to be exposed to, and, and that's a problem. We need that exposure. So again, we can, we can uh, uh, have elements of, of society direct, directed toward these problems so that corrections can occur or so, acceptance can be, be a part of it. So wouldn't you see that as being a harmful thing to do, <clears throat> seeing if you're keeping a child away from certain knowledges or certain things that are in his society, wouldn't that be harmful? I think it's harmful to take the knowledge away from a young person who needs to know, wants to know, but uh, when the means is pulled away, when they become an adult, then they don't have the ability to be able to um, navigate these, these areas effectively and to be success, successful. And that, I, I see that happens a lot. You know, and that's why we have the situation and we having this talk today. Because I myself, I feel that books, no book should be banned. Yes, sir. You know, no book should be banned because it's a representation of what our society is. Uh, I've even seen where Harry Potter, you know, <laughs> what was so wrong with Harry Potter that you would ban Harry Potter books? Well, some people. Or put it on the ba ban list. Some people think that Harry Potter goes against uh, Christianity um, because of the magic and uh, uh, other things that are in there. I've never read the book, but um, uh, it should still be a book that's available to, to people. Kids love it. They want to read it. Let them read. I, I think anybody wants to read it, it's a good thing. Let them read. Yeah, when we knew that uh, speaking of magic and things of this nature, you know, uh, miracles is another word. Individuals could say that Jesus was a magician, you know. They could say that because he performed miracles, but in certain times they considered that magic. Well, and then you get at uh, whether or not the Bible should be banned. And I, I'm, I'm sure that most people will say 
the Bible needs to be on the table so folks can read it if they choose to do so. The other thing about book bannings is if individuals don't like it, they don't have to read it. But but people have a natural curiosity, and people should be able to satisfy their curiosity by going to the library, by reading uh, different books, and um, uh, understanding that, that we live in a vast world with, with many different personalities and, and folks who uh, bring a lot to the table. And a lot can come from reading books, such as reading, reading books that are of a Mexican uh, heritage that can give me knowledge of their culture and things of this nature. I completely agree. And Native Americans, too. I mean, yeah, most people don't know that there are over 500 Native American uh, nations within, within our country, but we don't know it because they're invisible. Yeah, we're keeping them, keeping them invisible. Yes, sir. My name is Macy Jones, and I'm here with Mr. Lewis Doogood, and we'll be back in a moment. The Community Voices series is just one way that KKFI seeks to highlight local individuals and organizations who are making a difference in their communities. If you have an organization or initiative that you would like to see highlighted on our airwaves, don't wait. Go online at kkfi.org forward slash community voices and submit information about your organization or initiative today. Here's the calendar for the week of October 23rd. For information about Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense meetings this week, <clears throat> you can go to momsdemandaction.org. Everyone's welcome, mothers and others. Please check the calendar at moresquare.org for events you can attend with them. A list of services, meals, and hotlines are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. Tuesday, October 24th, 5 p.m., Culture Night Halloween Party and Costume Contest is an event at the Heart of America Indian Center, KC Indian Center at Southeast Community Center, Swope Park, 4201 East 63rd Street, Kansas City, Missouri. Wednesday, October 25th at noon, the Ann Sulentrop Trial Support will meet at the Kansas City, Missouri Municipal Courthouse at 11th and Locust. You may know Ann. For 15 years, she's spoken out about making out makings of parts for nuclear weapons in Kansas City, Missouri. Her civil resistance on Memorial Day this year has caused her to have to go to trial. All are invited. Supporters of Ann will enter the courtroom about 1 p.m. Wednesday, October 25th, 6 p.m. at 5100 Cherry Street, Kansas City, Missouri, is the 17th annual Dialogue and Friendship Dinner and Award Ceremony at the Dialogue Institute of Kansas City. Items listed in this calendar can be found on the episodes page as well as on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page, kkfi.org. Please take care of yourselves and others. Thanks for listening to Jaws of Justice. Let's return to the program. Macy Jones speaking with Lewis Duguid. Mr. Duguid, I know we spoke uh, earlier and in your bio and introduction that you wrote a book. And the very first book you wrote was A Teacher's Cry. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, sure. Um, a Teacher's Cry is a book that I um, uh, was able to get published in 2004. And it um, uh, dates to my um, uh, starting this uh, column writing project um, for the Kansas City Star, in which I uh, decided to follow the class of 1999 at Washington High School in Kansas City, Kansas, from the students' freshman year uh, until they graduated. Um, and that whole project started. Actually, even before that, when I, uh, in 1993 or four, had uh, gone out to um, a suburban school district and sat in on a class that a teacher had, and she was able to get her students to um, uh, do some pretty incredible things, and they were learning, and, and it's what you want out of school, out of education. 
Um, and then I heard from that same teacher uh, early part of 1995 saying she was getting out of teaching. It had changed. Um, uh, the students were distracted. The uh, parents were not um, really working with the teachers. The administration was working against uh, the, the teachers and wasn't supportive. And that she, uh, with a master's degree, just, just couldn't stand uh, being in the classroom anymore. So she was quitting. Uh, for the start of the school year in 1995, I wrote a column for the newspaper saying we were losing good teachers, cited her as an example, and, and said that uh, we need to be supportive of teachers and education so that uh, our kids can learn. Well, that caused uh, Alice Bennett at uh, Washington High School to write uh, two very long, tearful letters to me saying, poor little Miss Suburban teacher, uh, she can't take it anymore. She doesn't know what taking it is really like. And then Alice began to detail uh, in her letters what she had to deal with um, uh, working at, in an urban district with uh, urban situations. So I wrote her back, which was my habit, and said that if things are as bad as you say they are, then prove it. Um, let me come uh, and and visit your classroom and and just learn what it's like to be a teacher and, and a student. And she agreed, and um, that began in the fall of 1995. And for the first um, semester of going to the uh, Alice Bennett's class, she had six English classes at that time, but for the first semester of going to her class, I didn't um, write any uh, columns for the newspaper about it. I just wanted to sit there and, and take it all in and understand what was going on. The uh, problem is that in journalism, we don't do day-to-day um, uh, -day education. We, we cover the exceptional students. We cover the um, uh, great class uh, experience. We cover the, the kids who are having problems. We cover the uh, um, school district strikes. We cover um, the Board of Education meetings, but we don't cover what takes place day to day to, to let people know if their kids are learning and what they're learning and what they're reading. Um, and what I was trying to do was to change that by showing what takes place at a high school in an urban district day to day. And so I started writing um, columns uh, in the second semester of uh, uh, that school year and, began, and that began a project of writing columns uh, the entire time that those students were in high school. And then I wrote columns even after they graduated to show whether or not they got the most out of their education that they were supposed to so that they could either go on to college or get good grades or, or things like that. Um, the students um, uh, <laughs> at their 10-year uh, high school reunion invited me to, to come to their reunion, uh, which was really cool. And then at their 20-year high school reunion, they invited me to come to their reunion as well. And, and I did on, on both instances because I had gotten that close to the students. One of the bottom line premises of the book was that uh, we need as, as parents, as people who live in the community, to be more engaged and involved in the schools. We need to be more engaged and involved in helping the teachers, not being a hindrance, uh, not interfering with what they're doing, but helping the teachers to do their jobs to the best of their possible ability, to bring out all of the instruction that they've learned as, as people going through college um, uh, to be able to do what is a calling on, on their part, to, to, to think that they have the, uh, the hubris to be able to um, educate some, someone else's child. Um, but the schools need to be centerpieces of the community, and the only way that's going to happen is if the community gets engaged and involved in the schools. And, and so that's what I was doing at Washington High School, and that's what I encourage people to uh, continue to do. So, Mr. Uh, Duguid. Yes, sir. Lewis. Lewis, thank you. <laughs> Forgive me. We, we, we had established that, that Lewis was fine. You know, there was also the banning of the book for Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway. You know, what was the reason for that? 
I, I quite frankly don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't understand why people want to ban books to begin with. Um, uh, that is a classic uh, book, and um, uh, it's been read by um, people all over the world in many different languages. Um, I don't understand it. Yeah, banning books like we was talking about the teacher's cry mm -hmm. and how, you know, there may be some teachers that are in school that may be teaching something that that they feel is legit or are they able to do that or are they or are they been suppressed in how they go about their teaching some teachers uh, particularly particularly today um, are sharing that they're getting out of the profession because they don't like the interference that they're receiving um, now from parent groups and and these are parent groups that are getting involved in education to meddle and to um, really uh, try to keep teachers from uh, making students aware of, of racism and sexism and homophobia and, and classism and elitism. But all of these things are important because uh, young people need to know how to navigate this world that we live in, and if they don't get exposed to that, particularly at an early age, then they, they come away um, really disabled uh, in being able to um, bring out the best in people and bring out the best in society. So we could consider that being a, not just a band on books, but a band on the mind. Um, definitely, definitely. We want young people to have a mind that is seeking information, there's the curiosity, but also um, able to empathize with others and, and then come up with really workable solutions to some of our more intractable problems, uh, particularly in today's world. I mean, climate change is going to be um, an issue facing um, my grandkid uh, and, and, and your grandkids and everybody's grandkids. Um, but so is the violence in the war. And the violence in the war, the wars that, that we're seeing today come out of people not really respecting um, the uh, uh, individuals who are uh, in place and what they're about and what, what they uh, really are meant to do uh, in, this, in this world. Mr. Doogood. Yes, sir. You know, it's, it's, it's enjoyable talking with you, you know. I appreciate and, uh, you. Sharing, receiving your knowledge and input. I know that uh, what a lot of people may not know concerning myself is that I met you through incarceration. Yes, sir. I was incarcerated, and you came in and you inspired a lot of, a lot of men that were incarcerated to change to bring about changes in their life and and you showed us the uh humanness that we were sometimes not experiencing in our present environment and we thanked you for that and we appreciated you for that however they also banning books in the in institutions the yes and in the institutions and magazines you know and so they stifling some knowledge and the ability to bring about change through a book. Well, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I brought into um, the institution where you were a copy of my a copy of my um, book, Discovering the Real America, and the um, the people who ran the institution grabbed it, and um, they had to go through it first before they could release it to your prison library. Um, but it wasn't from a lack of trying on my part to, to bring that um, to, to your, your attention. Now, my um, uh, going into the, uh, the prisons to begin with kind of flows out of my having done a third book, which is uh, titled Our Fathers Making Black Men, and it's about the work that my dad did uh, at his chemical company uh, in inner city St. Louis, to uh, pull kids off the street uh, who were just wandering, wandering aimlessly, give them jobs at his company, this is a manufacturing plant, and then um, teach them the value of their, or get them to see the value of their education, 
and then helped him into uh, college and careers in the science. He was a chemist, and he taught at uh, Harris Teachers College, um, uh, but, but his view was too many black uh, young men were being misdirected because they didn't have the right information that could help them uh, along the right path. When different individuals in um, Missouri and Kansas uh, who were incarcerated would reach out to me and ask me to come in and speak to their group, uh, and in Moberly it was the uh, NAACP uh, branch there, and I would always try to find a way to make that happen because it was an opportunity to, again, uh, as you said, share uh, some words of inspiration help people to understand that they're needed out here, um, get people to know that incarceration is, um, is not uh, a permanent issue for most people and that they would one day be free. Mr. Gilgood, yes, so coming in, coming in like that and bringing the books in that you brought in were, were beneficial, but they brought about change. They, they, they helped the mindset of someone such as myself to come away from the environment that I was presently in into what was really a reality and what was going on in society. And we, we thank you for that. But the banding that takes place means that now I got a TV, you know, but am I getting full information as the way it would be if I was to read a book? I could watch a movie and the book be totally different from the movie. I could listen to the news, but reading the newspaper would give me a different point of view as well. Well, and, and you have to consider that um, with every transition, in other words, from the, from the book to um, the television, <clears throat> there's someone editing in, in between, and so you, you end up losing a lot of information. And that's why it's important to always read the book. Um, even if you like the movie, you thought the movie, movie was great, but the book provides you with more uncut information, and that's, that's what, what's really important. Yes. Um, there was a, another book that they turned into a movie that was on the band list at one time or another. And that, and that book was Their Eyes Were Watching God. Right, right. I've not read that book, but it's, it's uh, uh, an incredible um, piece of, of literature. Um, and it, again, it's, it's what's in the book and, and understanding the point that the author was trying to get across that's, that's really important. A lot of times we don't um, find the time to be able to read as much as we should. Um, uh, since, I've, uh, since I left the newspaper after 39, more than 39 years there, I've been able to do a lot more reading and, and catch up on a lot of books that people have given me over the years. Uh, and it's, it's quite fascinating um, what one is able to learn. I even pulled one of my daughter's uh, uh, textbooks from uh, her days in college uh, off the shelf and read it, um, and it was just a string of essays uh, by African Americans that um, uh, the editor of this book put together, and, and it covers the uh, span of writing uh, of, of African Americans in this country from the 1600s on into present day, and it's just, it's remarkable. So how do they go about deciding uh, which books they will. They would ban because Danielle Steele. She ain't banned. <laughs> she's, she's never been on a band list, and some of the things that they put in bands on other books for are in her books. I, I think that the the folks who are making the stink uh, and wanting to ban books are individuals who live in these secluded places um, in a very uh, segregated uh, area with uh, people who are um, uh, essentially like themselves, and they uh, think that they've found uh, their nirvana, and they're, they're just gonna want everyone to be like that 
and and uh, the only way that's going to be possible is if they um, uh, take away any element that challenges that. And so um, I think it's the challenge that they see as a problem. And, and it's really, books are not a challenge except that they challenge you to think in a broader um, way to, to really expand your mind. And what they're wanting to do is just keep it really small and narrow um, so that uh, they can uh, hold on to things as, as much as they can. I mean, th this, this whole book banning issue kind of flows very well with the whole notion of helicopter parents. And that's people who are wanting to be overly protective of their kids. Well, you can't protect a, a, a kid at forever. They will grow up. They will want to know more. And, and then, of course, you want them to have as much information as possible to make the best possible decisions. End up going off to college. <laughs> Ended up going off into another area, you know. Absolutely. Another part of society. Absolutely. So keeping, keeping them away from it, you you're doing more harm than you are doing good. Not unless you got your own college right there in your front yard. Well, and then that's a problem too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and like I was saying, you know, it's, 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 it's hard when you think about it, how you devastate somebody by keeping them, keeping, keeping them away from what they need or should be learning and knowing and coming to understand. I think that the best thing anyone can do is to read as much as possible, read um, everything they can get their hands on. Um, uh, I uh, go to the library a lot because uh, there, well, number one, there are people there. Number two, there are books there. And then, of course, periodicals that are there so that you can just pick up a world of information. But it's it's just an important place in in any city in any city and we see now that there with the news there's a lot of talk about uh the palestinians and israel and things of this nature and uh we have we have palestinians within our societies we yes. have israelis within our society you know we should be able to, we should be trying to get an understanding of what is actually going on in the world, and if they ban books, you know, that could give me an understanding of what the conflict's all about, things of this nature, then I'd, I'd be at a loss. I wouldn't, it really wouldn't concern me anymore, you know, I'd have no concern. Uh, I have to say uh, here, thank goodness for KKFI, thank goodness for Amy Goodman for bringing us, um, I think, a very balanced view of what's going on uh, there in the Middle East. Um, uh, it would be wonderful if the violence would end. It would be wonderful if both sides in that conflict could uh, come to an understanding and peace would um, reign. It would be wonderful if the Israeli troops massing on the border are um, just left to go home uh, rather than uh, go in and, and create more um, uh, violence. Uh, the violence is never the answer. Killing is never the answer. Um, and we, we saw that with the United States and the war uh, first in Afghanistan and then in Iraq and, and how that kind of um, Revenge and, and retribution doesn't do anyone any good. Uh, I learned a long time ago that uh, if you are doing something out of revenge, you need to dig two graves, one for the, the person who is your target and the other for yourself because you hurt yourself as much as, as anyone. And, and we need to just bring all of this, this anger down. Anger doesn't do anyone any good. I, I learned from Muhammad Ali, of, of all people, uh, when I interviewed him ages ago, that um, as a kid, I always thought you had to be angry to fight somebody. And his thing was, as a professional uh, prize fighter, anger is the last emotion that he needs in his way. He needs a clear head 
and he wants to get his opponent angry so that they will make mistakes. When you're angry, you make mistakes. But when you've got a clear head and you know what you're doing and you're relying on your training, you'll be just fine. Yes, yes. I, I just brought that issue up to speak on due to some fact that it is a big topic in our society now today. And uh, the banning of books is just like what we're seeing. Uh, you know, absolutely. bans on this, you, you know, bans on that. I remember when they had the riots, our individual, the curfews came, so it was a ban on you going outside, right. you know, where you couldn't go outside or had to be back in at a certain time. So sometimes I believe ban, banning certain things is a good thing, and then there are other times when I feel it's not. I'd like to thank you, Mr. Lewis Dogood, for being here with me. It's Thank been you a, once again. It's been a treat. Thank you. All I want is the truth. Oh, just give me some truth. All I want is the truth. Oh, just give me some truth. I'm sick and tired of hearing things from a tight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth I've had enough of reading things By neurotic, psychotic, big-headed politicians All I want is the truth Now just give me some truth you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD.